Hello, everyone, and welcome to NEIS Member Voices. I'm Scott Donaldson, NEIS Member Engagement Coordinator, and today I'll be speaking with Amani Reed, Head of School at the School at Columbia University in New York City, New York. Amani, welcome to Member Voices. Oh, thank you very much for having me. I look forward to the conversation. Well, thanks. Me as well. So I just wanted to start with you. Could you talk a little bit about how you got to the role that you're in now at your school? Sure. Um, I'm originally from Portland, Oregon, and was a product of public school up and through my middle school years, and then came to the Catlin Gable School, an independent school there that really opened my eyes to the opportunity that independent schools provide, and worked with a number of faculty and administrators who really encouraged me to pursue teaching. So from that moment on, I found my way through college and my life afterwards, um, really connected and committed to independent schools. So I I went to the University of Portland and Howard University and uh, finished a degree in teaching and started teaching in public schools in Park Rose outside of, of Portland and really was just committed to the work I had done in both independent schools and in communities. So I became a summer bridge director in Pittsburgh and worked on a public school, private school partnership that created opportunities for public school students to come to an independent school um, during the bridging time uh, between their between their academic years, but missed the classroom. So then found my way back into teaching and coaching and an administrator. And at my time there, I started to formally become involved with equity and justice work um, as, a, as an administrator. So bounced around from teacher to administrator, returned to the West Coast to Seattle to be assistant head of a middle school for a number of years and lead a department and be uh, be involved in classroom teaching. And then went to Chicago to run uh, a middle school at the University of Chicago Lab Schools, a university affiliated school. My first opportunity to see how higher education really supported these types of laboratory schools and progressive education in this way, which opened the door to bring me back to New York City. I had done my graduate work here at Teachers College uh, right as the school was opening up, and so an opportunity to to come back to New York to be a part of uh, a growing new school was, was really exciting. So my path crisscrossed the country, lots of different types of schools, uh, but it ended up landing me here in New York. And, and do you miss being in the classroom now? I do. Uh, one of the things that I found in terms of the, the struggle, though, was that as an administrator who was teaching, uh, things always came up. And I didn't feel I was able to be the teacher I really wanted to be because I had other, other responsibilities. Um, but we all started this work to be with students and to be in the classroom. So I try to find ways to um, be involved when I can. For a long time, I coached. Um, after school programs. Sometimes I will sit in on a class to either do an individual lesson or participate in a unit, but now I try to get in just whenever I can. But yes, I miss it as a, as a classroom teacher. And, and are there other things that you especially like about your role or, or maybe would change if you could? I think the, the role of head of school is unique in every school and in every community. In, in my school, um, part of 
being ahead in New York is connection to there are so many other independent schools here um, in the city. So being a part of a larger independent school community is really exciting. Um, so I enjoy that. I enjoy the opportunity to network, connect, and see other schools. But with this job in particular, I also have the opportunity to work with the university. So I think this is a particularly special role to think about how higher education can support can support young children. Um, not very often do you have an opportunity to think about how plants grow and end up in a major research greenhouse. We don't have many schools that have the opportunity to think about um, how research on cell or organisms are developing and then work with the scientists who are doing the cutting edge leading research that's being published literally that week. Um, so I love that my job creates opportunities for our students to make connections to uh, real scientific discovery, real work that's happening, um, and they get to see see it happen on a daily basis. And do you have like a, a quote-unquote typical day or, or maybe even something that you do uh, every day right when you arrive on campus and then something that you do at the end of the day as well, part of your routine? Routines are hard hard in this work. Sure. Um, one of the things I try to do every morning is to greet families. So we begin each morning here at this school with a community breakfast. We serve breakfast to uh, all of the parents and the guardians, all of the caregivers, all of the students, their siblings, uh, faculty, and staff. So we serve about 1,200 people breakfast every morning. Wow. And so part of what, what I do is I, I like to welcome families at the door. I greet them for about a half, half hour before they arrive and then try to join them uh, to socialize for breakfast. It gives a great way to see what the day will bring, what the weekend was all about. Um, but we are so committed to family engagement that usually in the morning, there are three or four different meetings that are happening, whether they are musical performances or meetings of our parents association or morning classes. Um, I, I feel like we get going right away, even before the, the school day begins. But it always tries to begin with welcoming families at the door uh, every morning. And then the final end of the day is really my chance to try to get caught up on email, to try to see if there are things that will make tomorrow more efficient, uh, because that's really my planning time. Everything else that happens during the day is really just trying to make sure that the school runs as smoothly as possible. Can you tell us a little bit more about the school and um, the school's history and uh, the student population and what uh, the school looks like now? Sure. Um, so we were founded in 2003 with three real clear purposes. One was to recruit and retain faculty for the university. As the university looked at their competitors for their faculty recruitment, they recognized that they were able to support their families in ways that Columbia wasn't. So recruitment and retention is one of the primary goals of the school. Second was really to develop a community within the university and between the university and its neighbors. This is a community school and a community space. 50% um, of our students come to us from uh, the faculty recruitment process, and 50% come to us from the neighborhood by lottery. It's a need-blind lottery that, that welcomes students from this catchment area. So we're really grounded and rooted in the community itself. And then the third part of our mission was to really be a laboratory for 
the development of innovative curriculum and pedagogical practices? What is it that we can think about that will push the future of education? And we really wanted to try and test those theories in a way that would be successful and usable for both public and private schools. So we're looking for real authentic um, partnerships. And what that's done for us, it's given us so many opportunities to partner with local agencies and other schools here within the city and actually around the world. And, and how big is the school now? I'm sorry if you said that. 540 students, kindergarten through eighth grade. Oh, wow. When we first opened, we were fewer than 200. And now we've really grown over a very short period of time. That's exciting. It is exciting. It shows the demand and the need in, in New York City um, and in particularly in this neighborhood um, that we really needed to make sure that we could support as many students as, as we possibly could. At what point did you uh, get brought on or uh, get chosen for your role? This is my sixth year as head, and I was the fifth head in the first 10 years of the school. Um, early on, there was a great deal of transition, and I think that's that's true and a challenge for many uh, startup schools. The, the type of leadership needed to develop an idea may not be the same type of leadership to grow a faculty and staff in an educational program. And as it turns out, I had come from another university-affiliated school, so I think I was able to bring at least a perspective that hadn't um, been present prior to my arrival. Um, but now I'm here in my, in my sixth year and been a big part of the, the growth and stability that, that I just mentioned to you before. A lot of that growth happened um, within the last five years. That's great. That's, that's uh, awesome that you've been able to bring some stability to the school and, uh, and to your role specifically. Have there been things that you've noticed that have changed about uh, your role from six years ago to now? I think schools have changed a lot. Um, for me personally, the, the biggest challenge has been how I've allocated my time. When I came, we were thinking about what growth would look like from a curricular point of view, but we actually didn't have the physical space to be able to accommodate everybody. So a big part of my early work was really building. Um, to remodel this this facility to make sure that we weren't limited, um, our academic program wasn't lim limited by our physical space, but that it supported our our academic program. So that was a big part of the of the early years, and then we had to make sure that we staffed not just in the traditional ways, but in all the ways that we need to provide support for our students. We don't ability group, we differentiate in the classroom, and that requires a different level of support and organization for us to be able to make sure we don't compromise the mission and values of the school. We are intended to be collaborative. It is a thematic uh, program that is, that is integrated um, from each of the 11 disciplines. So we have to make sure that we can support each and every one of those elements recognizing that we're going to bring students through lottery. We will have a different population every single year. And uh, on the subject of students, are there things that you've noticed that have changed in students' needs uh, now compared to six years ago or, or, or just overall trends that you've noticed in students and their needs over time? Um, I think from when I, from when I started this work, um, one of the, the biggest differences actually is families more than students. Uh, I think when I first started, families tended to send their students to school to have an experience that was distinct and separate from their life at home. And now 
we see that much of our work is with the entire family around supporting students and their achievement. So we have a very robust family engagement program, for example, here, where we're helping families understand what's happening in the classroom and how to help support their students. So the student growth and change, I think, is also that the adults in their lives are more connected to, to the outcomes of their academic experience. Um, here in New York, the the pressure and the challenge of getting into high school is 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 quite significant. So we're definitely feeling that as um, the the populations change, as the tuitions become much more expensive, that helping families understand their options, understand how to apply and to navigate. The, the high school landscape has been a big part of what we've done. And then I think actually finally, just in the six years I've been here, the neighborhood has changed a great deal, recognizing that the population that um, people may have imagined would have been here are no longer present or have changed in some ways. And what is our response to, uh, to really being uh, the type of school that we want to in a neighborhood-based school? Whether that's the number of students who are actually living in the, in the community who are school age, or how that has changed in terms of socioeconomics and, and race and other uh, demographics here within the neighborhood. And uh, looking forward into the future, are there things that you're uh, especially excited about? I think that we are on the, the brink of, of, of a sort of a change in, in education. Uh, I'm excited of a, to be part of a school that is really willing to push some, some innovative teaching practices. And uh, now that we have been around as long as we have, we're starting to see our students either come back to us uh, after having graduated from college, back into the community, back to either teach or participate in our after-school programs. We're really starting to see some of those of those outcomes. But it feels like the, the next chapter for us is going to be much more student-driven than, than it has been for, for many years. We've always been progressive in the sense that we wanted students to have a strong say in their learning and the learning landscape. So our students are often able to explore many different ways to solve problems, many different ways to approach uh, their academic work. But now we're starting to see more and more role for students to actually change the school, whether that's participating in the design process of our physical building or the design process of our curriculum the student voice is really starting to be something that I think we're able to not just listen to, but to create change and respond um, to the questions that they're asking. Um, and that's really exciting for us. That is exciting. And on the flip side of that, what keeps you up at night? Are there any big challenges that you're experiencing now at your school or that you see potentially encountering moving forward? It really is the access and affordability question. I worry that we're always missing something. We spend a lot of time thinking about how to support families. And here in my school, we have a variety of types of support. We have academic support and learning support for students who need uh, that type of structure and guidance from the school and supporting families and getting that type of support for their students. We have social workers and psychologists to help families problem solve all the other elements of, of their of their lives and the needs of their families. 
but I wonder what are the pieces that we're missing? What are the parts that families are struggling with alone? And are we able to, to see that and support them? Uh, so I, I spend a lot of time thinking about that at, at night. Um, I can't help but think about the affordability for our schools. And really, as we look at New York City with so many of our schools, uh, tuitions rising so quickly, this is a challenge. Uh, the, the tuition comes down to the same factors for all of our schools. Uh, what are our class sizes? How many families can we, uh, can we enroll? And what does it look like in terms of our other expenses, faculty and staff salaries, healthcare, um, financial aid, all of the things that we want to put our dollars and minds and energy towards, um, they're very, very difficult things to balance. And um, I would hate to see a time where we are pricing so many families out of the market that our schools were designed to support and to serve. So I'm spending a lot of time thinking about that. Great. And I was just hoping that you could tell us a little bit about your leadership journey and what leadership means to you. When when I think back on the leadership journey, um, and we've, we've talked about this actually in a lot of different places, um, it feels in some ways that it was accidental. Um, I've continued to find myself with opportunities um, to grow and to develop. Uh, but I don't think that's true. I think at the end of the day, um, I've been surrounded with mentors and sponsors who have given me opportunities or provided opportunities that um, I really was able to walk into and to step up to. I mentioned a little bit about the Catlin Gable School. And when I was at the Catlin Gable School, uh, Jim Scott uh, was the head of school and Roy Parker was the division head uh, for the middle school division. And at a time when I was trying to figure out if there was a place for me in the independent school world, let alone my, my own school community, uh, these two really emerged as people who created opportunities for me, whether it was to spend my time, my free time, volunteering in the primary program, which we called the Beehive, or opportunities to start to think about the role of equity and justice in independent schools through the People of Color Conference or local or, or regional conferences, they both really pushed me to think about ways that if you have questions and you have a commitment that you find ways to, to make an impact. As I think about the professional arc that I've had in other schools, that trend really followed me. That where I, If I asked too many questions about why something was done a particular way, I had heads or uh, division heads who were willing to give me some room to explore or give me the opportunity to lead. Um, and this is how I found my way into equity and justice work formally. It's how I found my way into being an associate director of admissions uh, because these were areas that I was not only passionate about, but, make, but was committed to making sure that they matched the values of the school. So my leadership journey has been a, a lot of different roads to get to, I think, where where I am today, where I feel as if I ask a lot of my faculty and staff, but the things that I ask of them um, really reflect the, the mission and value of the school and things that I hope to model in the work that I do from, from the head's office. And, and more broadly, 
Uh, I think my leadership journey has also been to continue to give back to um, the same communities that supported me. So I'm actively involved um, with the NEIS programs. I serve on the faculty of aspiring heads. I serve on the board of other independent schools and our regional association. I serve on the board of an international association uh, because I really think it's important that we remain involved in those conversations. If our schools are going to, to thrive and lead going forward, um, we have to continue to be involved in that way. So I try to do that work myself and I really try to support uh, my faculty and staff in doing that work as well. And could you talk a little bit more about your communication style as a leader and as a head of school? My style hopefully is is direct. Um, there is always a challenge with trying to think through um, how many different constituents are involved in any answer that you are providing. And so it's easy to have your words taken out of context. But what we've tried to do here and what I've tried to do is find ways to be uh, involved in every level of the communication at the school so they don't have to just hear something from me. I have the opportunity to talk with their division heads um, in their grade level coordinators or in our school we have a faculty committee and a parents association uh, spending time regularly with, with each of them so they really understand what's important to me, how decisions are being made. So as the more formal communications come out, um, they're able to provide the, the context for it. Um, this is a school that doesn't shy away from difficult conversations. Um, we actually try to create time and, and space to invite those conversations into the school. So we see much more opportunities for us to come together to talk about what's on our mind and what's important in our school rather than waiting for a, a letter from the head of school. We really try to make it more immediate. Um, and that's been an important part, I think, of building the community so people have a chance to ask their questions, not just digest um, what has been sent to them. And when you were speaking about your leadership journey, you mentioned mentors. Uh, I'm curious uh, if you can share a, a story about a mentor and uh, what you learned from them. I think I've been really blessed to have a lot of mentors, and, and I named um, I named a couple. And I think that there there are really simple leadership lessons that I've learned from them um, about thinking through your decision making process and understanding who it impacts. Um, spending time thinking about um, the example you leave and the importance of of support. Um, but one of the most valuable lessons that that I have heard is to remember to laugh a lot. It seems like a silly leadership lesson to highlight, um, but really part of our job is to model um, healthy relationship and passion for the work that we do. Um, if we are so focused on following the rules or creating the structure, sometimes uh, we forget that we have one of the best jobs in the world, which is to to lead schools that we believe in, to work with families and students, faculty and staff that we're tremendously proud of. And with that comes joy. And it is okay to infuse joy in the work that we do. So one of the things that um, I'm constantly reminded to do is to not only enjoy my work, but to share 
how much I'm enjoying it. Uh, so I was hoping that we could uh, talk a little bit about your work in equity and justice, uh, just because I know that that's such important work and I'm sure important to you. So are you able to talk a little bit about what you've done and, and how you've approached that and what that work means to you? Sure. I, I think that equity and justice work is such a critical part of today's independent school. Helping to create safe, inclusive communities are are something that really brought me into independent schools and have been a hallmark of the type of schools that I've wanted to, to be a part of. Early on when I was at the Catlin Gable School, I mentioned a little bit about my, my time there, but we were an early adopter to the uh, multicultural assessment plan, part of a process that allowed us to host a visiting team that would really look at how we were supporting the needs of students of color within our school. And at the time, I was a student. And when we went through that process, it really highlighted for me the importance of mentorship, uh, the importance of inclusion, and the importance of advocacy. So that started me on a path as a longtime participant in the People of Color Conference as a planner, as a presenter, as a person who has supported faculty, staff, and students in participation. Uh, I've really seen the, that grow over the last uh, 20 or more years and has been a hallmark of, of something that I do every year. I think that's important for my school to be involved and it's something that I make a point of, of not missing. I've also spent a lot of time thinking about the leadership arc of how to be a change agent, how to ask difficult questions, how to facilitate conversations, and have worked hard to uh, to participate in training and to develop practice in tackling some of these issues. So I participated in the Summer Diversity Institute, now uh, the Diversity Leadership Institute through NAIS. I participated in SEED training. I participated in the White Privilege Conference. Uh, I've sought out opportunities to really test my, my own theories, my own biases, and the opportunity to engage others on these really difficult uh, and challenging topics. Uh, the most important thing for me in, in my school has been to create spaces for these conversations to occur and for us to really be thoughtful about how we even approach uh, and support our, our families, students, and faculty and staff in tackling them. And over the past few years, we've really tried to bring in speakers, speakers who can help us not just on one evening to think about the work that we are doing, but to help facilitate training and conversations that we can uh, incorporate into our curriculum, incorporate into our, our policies and practices um, and allows us to really be the school that we want to be and to to live the commitment to those to those values. So I'm curious if you have a, a proudest moment um, in your work there, and then also uh, just a, a proudest moment uh, in your professional career in general, and, and maybe they're the same, I don't know. For me personally, I'd always benefited from tremendous support from my family and the thought of being a teacher, um, being an educator, being involved in schools, was a path that was supported by my parents and by my family. It wasn't something that we, I was charged to do. I didn't grow up in a family of educators, but I grew up in a family that really valued education. Um, I now have the opportunity to work in schools that weren't available to me 
as a young person. They weren't schools uh, or communities that I saw as possibilities for me when I first started this journey. So it's been a tremendous moment of pride to be able to share these experiences, um, being connected now to two major universities, being connected to schools that are doing such powerful work within their communities, um, with with my family who had to support me along the way. Um, and that's been particularly special uh, as the last few years when I could share the school that I have the opportunity to lead um, with my family who are 3,000 miles away. Are there other areas that you look to or other people or uh, places that you look to for inspiration? Um, inspiration. I think as a leader, I try to find uh, inspiration in in all sorts of places. This last year, we have been thinking about leadership and communication in some, some different ways. And we have four core values at the school. And every year we spend the time with a deep dive with one of them. And as we were focusing on the year of community, we started to think about music and how music builds its community. And we brought in a speaker who was a musician here at the Louis Armstrong Center at Columbia University. And um, he led a faculty meeting on the importance of jazz music and the importance of communication um, through music. And it's been strangely um, inspirational for me because I have found music has always been a big part of my life as someone who appreciated music, but I haven't always thought about it as part of my leadership arc. Um, so now I've tried to find new ways to have a soundtrack to my meeting, to the year, and to the work that I'm doing. Um, I've also found that I'm much more aware of the music around me, um, music that is playing when I walk into a room, music that's playing uh, when I get into a taxi cab, music that's playing and what it means about setting, setting tone. I've also, um, I'm a reader. I've, I've spent a lot of time thinking about um, how I continue to grow. And one of my practices has been to read the books that my students are reading. Um, so now I've been going back to try to find books that my students are writing uh, and my faculty and staff. So I'm also trying to find how my community continues to grow outside of the traditional ways that I see them. Um, and that's been inspiring to know that there are so many outside passions that people are able to find time to commit themselves to that round out who they are as individuals that don't always get celebrated or recognized within our community. So trying to find new opportunities to celebrate the complexity of all of who we are um, within the community. I found that to be inspiring too. I'm curious if you're willing to share, if you're listening to anything in particular at the moment or reading or watching anything in particular, just what sort of media and entertainment and that, and that sort of thing you're taking in. Sure. Well, with uh, the last few years, it's been pretty hard to avoid the Hamilton um, phenomenon in, in New York. Yes. Um, and so spending a lot of time thinking about um, Lin-Manuel's Miranda's inspirations. Um, we've been working a little bit on some of the artists who have influenced his work, not just in Hamilton, but in the Heights uh, as well. So spending a lot of time thinking about local artists and the local expression. But it also started me thinking about other founding fathers. So uh, Band of Brothers is the book that I am 
currently working on now. Thinking a little bit about how some of these biographies and historical stories uh, fit into the modern era and how you make them accessible to young people today is something I'm spending a lot of time thinking about. Um, I also have a middle schooler at home, and so finding the right way to um, make it accessible, not just in my professional life, but in my personal life, has been something that I've been been thinking a lot about. In the vein of uh, sort of closing out the conversation and and getting to know you uh, a little bit better, is there anything that you're willing to share that uh, maybe few people know about you or maybe it might surprise some of your colleagues or someone listening? Boy, things that might surprise someone about me. Um, I think that uh, something people may not know is that one of my odd jobs in college was working in food service and I was a caterer. So my outside passion uh, outside of education is really food, um, cooking and baking. When when I was in college, I would set up as craft services for the commercials and, and and movie shoots. So I would bring the lunch and I would set them up for the actors and for the staff. Um, and I've always found that that is something that relaxes me. So oftentimes during the summer, I will give myself a big project where I will work on a particular um, a particular recipe for for long periods of time until I perfect it, or I will find new opportunities to to bring food into school or prepare food for friends and family uh, because that's something that I enjoy making. I enjoy creating um, and it always tastes pretty good. So it's a, something that I, that I enjoy. That's great. Uh, do you have a, um, a specialty or a go-to recipe? Well, I'm more of a baker. So um, this, this last year I've really been trying to protect, to perfect um, a, a a roll um, it originally was a Hungarian bread that my family served over the holidays, and I've tried to reimagine it as a cinnamon roll rather than a loaf. So I'm trying to take family recipes, adopt them to the way that my family eats and ways that are easier to share. So I'm not sure what I would call it anymore, um, but this is sort of a new take on an old traditional bread. Uh, my family were coal miners in uh, Utah, and so the recipes in my family come from coal mining camps uh, from many generations ago. So they are um, in multiple languages, they're in multiple units of measure, so trying to perfect and modernize recipes has sometimes been a little tricky. Well, that's that's still so cool and making me hungry. So, <laughs> And uh, I like to end conversations with this question. If you had one more hour in your day, what would you do with it? Um, one more hour in my day. Uh, I think the hardest thing to do is to find moments uh, for peace and reflection. Uh, I think that if I had another hour, I would try to sit and think about what we accomplished over the course of the day and chart a path for tomorrow. It feels like we spend so much time rushing to get our uh, to-do list done, to get through the agenda, and to think about all of the things that we do on any given day. We don't often pause to celebrate and think about our accomplishments or the accomplishments that happen within our community. So I would try to take the extra time to 
not only appreciate what we've done, but find the moments to send the card or make the phone call to let other people know that they've been recognized and appreciated. I think that's often an area that is hard to do um, on a daily basis. It becomes a little bit easier over the arc of a year or a semester, but there are so many tremendous accomplishments that happen each and every day that uh, go by just because of the pace of what we're doing. Well, I love it. Uh, I feel like that's a great note to end on. Thanks for listening to this episode of NAIS Member Voices. And thanks so much to Amani for taking the time to speak with me today. Uh, we've included some great resources on some of the areas we've discussed at NAIS.org backslash member voices. And you can also keep an eye on that page for new podcast episodes. Also, we always want to hear your stories, questions, and comments. Uh, so please send them to us at membership at NAIS.org. Thanks again.